Amen. Truly the greatest act of love in the history of all mankind was that Almighty God, that you would send your Son to suffer and die that we might have eternal life. Greater love hath no man than this, that he lay down his life for a friend. And Lord, we just thank you and praise you. May we never take for granted the cross of Calvary. Lord, we pray as we go to your word right now that you would be our teacher. Give us all attentive ears to hear what your Holy Spirit wants to minister to our hearts this morning. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome again to Calvary Chapel. It is really great to have you here. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11 and we continue our verse-by-verse study through the New Testament. If you haven't been coming on Wednesday nights, uh, I've announced it a few times. Uh, we finished up 1 Samuel and we went back and did Genesis because when we did Genesis when we first started the church, we didn't have uh, recording capabilities. There have been a lot of requests for it to have it on the website and on the radio. So we're going back to doing Genesis and we've just done a couple chapters. So if you want to grab the CDs, you can certainly join in and catch up. It's always a good, uh, good to get into the foundational book of the Bible. All right, we're going to pick up where we left off last week at verse 23, but before we do, as I always do, we're going to give a little background to bring you up to speed. As we know, the book of Hebrews was written by a Jew to the Jews to tell them to quit being Jews. The problem was that they were being tempted because of persecution to go back into the old covenant, to go back into that which no longer existed, to go back to the sacrificial system, to go back to the temple. The first 10 chapters really have one central theme, and the theme is this, Jesus is better. As we've seen, he's better than the high priest, he's better than the prophets. Again, the prophets used mightily by God, Jesus better. High priest used mightily by God, Jesus better. We don't need a high priest anymore because we have the great high priest, amen? And as he continued through the first 10 chapters, talked about entering into the rest that we have in Jesus Christ, and how... He is better than the angels and anything and everything they would be contemplating going back to. And even exhorted them to say that not by the blood of bulls and goats that we can be saved, but only through the blood of our Savior Jesus Christ. And so all they were being tempted to go back to, he was exhorting them that Jesus is indeed better and this falls short. When he got to chapter 11, he now begins to kind of change gears a little bit. And he is speaking to them, giving them examples of Old Testament I don't like that the word hero is a correct word because there's only one hero in Christianity and his name's Jesus Christ, amen? But at the same time, God chose to write down the names of these people as those who were faithful. What an awesome thing that God would say that you were faithful or that I was faithful when he's the one that gives us the ability to even be faithful, amen? God alone should get all the glory and all the praise and all the honor, but yet, even as He saves us and He chooses to use us, then as we faithfully respond in obedience, He then pours out gifts upon us. And in this chapter, He is speaking to these who, of those who had been used mightily by Him, those who had responded in faith. So I titled the message last week, God's Hall of Fame or God's Hall of Faith, either way, but really just contrasting how the world looks at fame who the world magnifies, somebody who can catch a football or somebody who can get up on a screen and read some lines. You know, we we magnify the wrong things. And Jesus Christ and the Word of God tells us that those that are magnified in His eyes are those who are faithful in serving Him. Guys, I said it last week, not very many people have been to the Hall of Fame. It's pretty much the Hall of Forgetfulness, right? Who shows up? Who's been there? Not very many people. But you know what? God's Hall of Fame is still adding members. 
God is still adding daily those who are being saved. There's still those who are being faithful to serving Him. So an exhortation to, to those who are thinking of leaving the substance for the shadow, to leave the cross, to go back to the bronze altar, He's been giving us this list of those who indeed have been so incredibly faithful. In the first part of the chapter last week, we saw the description of faith. I'm not going to go into it, grab the CD, but just know this. Faith is not blind evidence in spite of the evidence. It's not the blind optimism in spite of the evidence. True faith is not uh, you know, a manufactured hope so feeling. Faith does not originate with man, it originates with God. Amen? And faith is not us getting God to do what we want. It's us responding to the Word of God and what He's commanded us to do. It's us stepping out of faith. And the definition we saw is that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And so, guys, we need to have that word substance can also be confidence. The word evidence can also be conviction. And so we need to be those who have confidence in the things of God and conviction about the things we have not even seen because we trust in the Lord and what He says. What we've been going to continue to see this morning in this chapter is that our faith, true faith, should impact our behavior. Belief impacts behavior. It's not enough to say, I believe. If it doesn't change the way I behave, I don't really believe. If I say, oh yeah, I believe that the Lord's coming back. I believe I will stand accountable for Him one day, but I do not want to give my life to Jesus Christ. I don't really believe. And if I say that I trust that God is in control of all things and yet I'm afraid to step out in faith, I don't truly believe. Because belief will indeed impact behavior. So here's the point. True faith operates quite simply. God speaks, we hear His word, we trust His word, we act upon it no matter what the circumstances or consequences. Let me say that again and we'll move on. But God speaks, we hear His word. After hearing His Word, we trust His Word and we act upon it no matter what the circumstances are or what the consequences might be. So we saw the description of faith. Faith, again, not an over-optimistic feeling that I have that generated from me that I somehow get God to move the way I want Him to. It's not the name it and claim it faith, right? It's not the uh, Cadillac, Cadillac, Cadillac and now it's out of my driveway faith. That's not what faith is. That was a, a figmentation of a man's uh, you know, imagination. That's not what God defines faith as. Faith, again, is us hearing the word of God and responding to it in obedience. Amen? That's faith. Now, we saw last week, beginning to look at the, the true faith, what it produces. Number one, we saw faith worshiping. We saw the picture of Abel, that Abel gave a more, you know, a, a sacrifice that was acceptable in the eyes of God. And guys, when we are obedient to God, it doesn't always mean things are going to go well. And Abel worshipped God. Abel was faithful. And what was the result? What was, is anybody awake? I know it's cold, but what was the result? Cain killed his brother, right? Abel obeyed and he died. But guys, we are still talking about him. 6,000 years later, because he was a man of faith and God used him. And guys, it's not about how popular we are before men or even how long we walk on this planet. It's how faithfully we serve Almighty God. And Abel was a faithful man. And you know what? When you are walking in faith, you should have a heart of worship. Out of the overflowing of a man's heart, his mouth speaks. And if our heart is filled with love for God, worship's going to be flowing out of our mouths. So we saw in Abel, faith worshiping. Then we saw in Enoch, faith walking. Now I love this picture of Enoch. Again, briefly, is 
how he's walking with God and there was not a Bible. There was not a church. He didn't have the Ten Commandments. Enoch, people say to you, well, what about the person that lives in this faraway land? You know what? That was Enoch. But the Bible says that Enoch walked with God. And what's awesome is Enoch walked with God for 300 years. In the midst of wickedness and perversion all around him. It's right in the days of Noah when perversion and wickedness was everywhere. And he walked faithfully with God. Guys, Enoch's walking faithfully with God without the word of God. Without Jesus Christ having died upon the cross. And guys, how much more should we walk faithfully having those truths revealed to us? Enoch was an example and a picture to those who were considering walking away. It's been a couple years of tough times, and he's letting them know. Remember who it's being written to, those who are contemplating going back, leaving the cross of Calvary to go back to the old way. And he says to them, here's an example of Enoch. He walked with God for 300 years in the midst of wickedness, and here they are just after a few years wanting to walk away. So Enoch is a picture of faith walking. How did he please God again? He just simply sought Him. He spent time in His presence. Then we go to faith working. Here we see the picture of Noah. Noah built a boat for 120 years when it had never rained before. Now that's faith. Amen? God tells you something and you're still, you know, we pray, and I've said this before, we pray, and if we don't get an answer in a week, we get impatient. 120 years of no doubt being mocked. No doubt, you know, having guys go after him, come by and mock him. Well, water's going to fall from the sky. Yeah, right. It had never happened before. But you know what? He wasn't worried about what men said, but what God had told him. He responded in obedience to the word of God and he trusted. Having never seen water fall from the sky, he knew it was coming because God said so. And he acted in faithful obedience. And guys, there are times when we need to put feet to our faith. When when our faith needs to be put to work. Amen? Not just sitting and contemplating, but stepping out in faith as we see here with Noah. Noah. Noah warned them of coming judgment. He was faith working. And then lastly we saw in God's hall of fame or God's hall of faith, faith waiting and acting upon God's promises. The main person we looked at there was Abraham. And again, this is one of the hardest things for me, I openly confess it, is to wait. Again, I get impatient like nobody else in this room, right? But we get impatient. And you know what? Abraham waited. You know, he went out not knowing where he was going. He trusted God's promise. When God came to him and said, at 99, you're going to have a child. Yeah, right. His wife laughed. But they trusted in the end that God would do all that he said. And then we saw that he even believed that God could do exceedingly abundantly above all he asked or think on anything he could imagine when he told him to take his son, his only son, Isaac, up and sacrifice him. And you know what? Abraham went. And he trusted that even if God allowed him to kill his son, that he would indeed raise him from the dead because God had promised that through this son, all the nations of the world would be blessed. That through this son, he would have descendants as the, as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. He trusted God that he would raise him from the dead. I believe even though he had never raised anybody from the dead before, he waited upon God. And part of faith is that we do wait. We don't strive in our flesh. We don't try to make things happen. We wait and trust that God's timing is perfect. So we've seen faith worshiping, faith walking, faith working, and faith waiting. Now this morning we're going to look at four more things. We're going to see faith warring, 
Maybe you didn't know that faith goes to war. The Bible says we battle not with flesh and blood, but with powers and principalities and evil forces of darkness in high places. If you don't know that we're in a battle, you're not paying attention. Amen? We're in a spiritual battle. Number two, we're going to see faith winning. We're going to see that when we step out in faith, that there is fruit. Again, God will be glorified. Then we'll see that faith that is willing to die, the ultimate faith, the willingness to lay down your life for God. And then finally, in light of all of that we've learned about faith, how are you and I to respond? So let's begin looking at God's Hall of Fame, faith warring, beginning in verse 23, where we left off last week. And it says, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents, because they saw he was a beautiful child, and they were not afraid of the king's command. Now, the Bible says in Romans 13 that we are to submit to the authorities that God has placed over us. So you are to submit to the police officer on the freeway. Amen? You are to submit to the tax laws and pay your taxes. You are to submit to the laws that God has placed over us. You're to submit to your boss at work. God has placed them in authority. You're to submit to your teacher at school. God has placed them there. But there is a time when we stop submitting to those in authority over us, and that's when they directly contradict the Word of God. Because the Word of God is the authority above all else. Amen? And you need to make sure that you got it in black and white in the Word of God. God's Word says it. It's very, very clear. So there's a time that we are to submit, and that's most of the time. But there's a time when we need to make a stand for the things of God. And guys, we're living in a time, in a country, and in a place that we need to make that stand more and more, not less and less. Amen? And there's going to be a time when it may be against the law to do what we're doing right now. People mock, but I'll tell you what, I'm not that old, but I've seen such a drastic change in our country in just the last 20 years. It's amazing. Well, this command came out that they were going to kill all the male children under the age of two years old. Again, a picture of what would happen with Christ later. And Moses' parents did what I believe every parent in here would probably do. At least I would hope so. I'm not, yeah, I'm not, we're not doing that. Let me think about that. No. I'm not doing it. Now, what if they say, we're going to kill you? Well, you're going to have to kill me then. Because you're not going to come in and kill my child. That's what's not going to happen. And so we see Moses' parents, by faith, trusting in God, obeying the word of God, saying, we are not going to obey the laws of the land. We're going to obey God instead. And as they do so, it says there, that they hid him for three months. Now again, if they'd come into the house and discovered him there, they would have killed the family. We know the story. We don't have time to go into it. They eventually put him in a little ark, okay? Put him in a little, and set him out in these reeds, and set him, and he gets picked up again. God's hand is on Moses. He's going to be the deliverer. God's going to use him in a mighty way. But before he was used mightily as a man, he had parents who were faithful to protect him and watch over him so that he might be about God's business. Guys, what a picture for every parent in the room this morning. If we want our kids to be godly men and women, we need to raise them up as godly children and protect them and watch over them and keep them from the enemy who wants to destroy them. Amen? There's an enemy who wants to destroy Moses. He wants him dead. He was afraid of the very thing that Moses would become, that there might be a deliverer that would come. And you know what? 
the deliverer did come. Amram and Jochebed had faith in God. They decided not to obey the decree of Pharaoh. They risked their lives, again, in the face of it. And again, I know that that's what most of us would do. Now, I want to say this. I believe the enemy is going after our kids just as strong as he was going after Moses. And you know what? I want to point out three things really quickly that I believe are very evident today in the society that we live in. Number one, infanticide is still going on, but you know what we call it today? It's called abortion. The enemy loves it when babies are killed. He seeks to steal, kill, and to destroy. And today we put babies to death out of convenience. Uh, It's inconvenient to have one right now. It's unexpected. It's too expensive. Well, just kill your baby. That'll take care of the problem. But you know what? We, like Moses' parents, must see how precious these children are in the sight of God and do whatever is necessary to protect them. Amen? And you know what? I think we need to preach that a little more. That's God's heart and His design is that we watch over these precious children. There's two other ways. By the way, let me say this because I always want to clarify. If you're here this morning and you've had an abortion, you need to know that God is a God of love and grace and mercy and He has forgiven you. He has separated your sin as far as the east is from the west and the one who condemns you is not the Lord, it's the enemy. Amen? We always need to make sure that we point that out. There's two other ways that used to be subtle that aren't subtle anymore, and I'm just sharing this with parents from the heart of a parent. The entertainment. The entertainment is desensitizing our children to sin. Just as the enemy was attacking Moses to keep him from being effective in any way, wipe him out, so too the enemy is trying to attack our children and get their eyes off the true and living God. And you know what? TV, movies, music, video games, the internet. Our job as parents is to protect our kids from the enemy's devices to destroy them. Amen? And I want to tell you something. Don't worry about being popular with your kids. You be faithful to God. Amen? Because you know what? We can't get that back. And what happens is they bombard them with sin over and over to the point where it's not a big deal anymore. Then lastly, where our kids are being bombarded is in the education system that we live in today. They're daily being bombarded with the lies and the ungodly agenda of evolution. Evolution is a lie, straight from the pit of hell. That's pretty direct, huh? It's pretty much, that's where it's, amen? Is that true or not? And what's happening is our kids are being taught over and over and over that lie, and then we wonder why they start to doubt and question God. They're being told that premarital sex is okay. They call it safe sex. There's no such thing as safe fornication, amen? It's outside of God's will. It's being preached over and over and over again. And it's no wonder we have so many promiscuous teenagers. Then the homosexual agenda is in our schools. The thing that Pastor Bill mentioned, there's a new law that's already been signed by the, by the governor, and there's a petition going around to get him to not put it in force, which will say that it's no longer okay. You cannot say mom and dad in any more curriculum anymore, period. Cannot be mom and dad because that speaks against homosexual relationships. It also says that there has to be a gender-neutral bathroom at all schools going forward for the kids who don't know whether they're a boy or a girl. This is the... Where are we living? This is Sodom and Gomorrah, isn't it? And here's Moses. You know, they're coming to attack their child. And they said, you know, we're going to lay it on our life if we have to because we obey the laws of men until they go against the laws of God. And this is going against the laws of God and we need to stand up. Amen? And let me encourage you, and please don't take this wrong, but there's coming a time, and we may have already passed it, where as Christians, we need to pray hard about whether or not we ever have any of our kids in public school. 
Because you know what? Unless, if they're going to keep bombarding our kids with lies all day long, we certainly wouldn't let someone down the street babysit our kids that was going to lie to them all day long and was going to show, have pornography on and hand out condoms and teach them a homosexual. We wouldn't do it for 30 minutes, but yet we give them 30 hours a week to do it, don't we? And you know what? I know there's financially, not everybody can do it. And you know what? But be, be alert with, that when that stuff's being taught that you can pull your kids out. Have them miss that day. Amen? Take them down to the beach and spend time in God's word instead of in that noise. And at the same time, we need to be salt and light there as well. So, I know that was a little bit of a tangent. Forgive your pastor, all right? But here's the point. The point is that the child, the child was under attack, and as a godly mom and dad, they said, we absolutely are not going to bow to the laws of the land. We are going to honor God. And praise God that they did, because God was going to do great things through Moses. It says also in that verse, 23, that he was a beautiful child. This didn't just mean he was handsome, but the word in the original language speaks of being gifted and, un and having unusual promise. And we know that indeed he is the future deliverer of Israel. Every child is precious. It's time for us to stand up and protect them. Moses' parents have stood up. God protected their son. Who ended up nursing him? His own mom. Only God can do that. Amen? They stood up, they obeyed, and God did exceedingly abundantly above all they could have asked or thought. Verse 24 and 25. It says, By faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. You know what's awesome? Moses' mom and dad's faith, even though he was not raised in their home as he was pulled out, she nursed him for a time, eventually became Moses' faith. And guys, that should be all of our prayer, is that, you know, you understand something, God has no grandkids, amen? And our kids need to come to their own personal, intimate relationship with the Lord. Moses became a man who would rather die with conviction than live with compromise, Rather than enjoy the sin that was pleasurable for a season that would lead to death, he was willing to leave all the riches, all the position, all the power, all the comfort. Why? To be on God's side. Guys, you know what? We need to come to that place where being right with God is the only thing that matters. Amen? That nothing else compares. There's no comfort. There's no job. There's no promotion that will make me waver in my faith. And so often, you know, pursuing that which is good, we will miss out on that which is best. We'll be so focused on the things of this world that aren't even necessarily bad, but when we put them in front of God, they become bad. When my career is so important, I have no time for devotions, I am out of God's will. Amen? We need to make Him the priority. Pursue that which is indeed the best. Early Christians were tempted to flee persecution to run back to the old covenant, to walk away from God, to satisfy a fleshly desire. And here this example is being given that, you know what, Moses, from the world's perspective, had it all. He was the grandson of the Pharaoh. He had all the riches in the world at his, at his feet. He was in line to be the ruler, and he walked away from all of it to serve God. A man is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Amen? Walking away from that which is perishing to pursue that which is eternal. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. You know what? We sing that song sometimes. Better is one day in your courts. Amen? 
Better is one moment in the presence of Almighty God. And it's better to be in a place of suffering with the Lord than a place of temporary pleasure outside of His will. Because it's only a fleshly suffering. It's only a fleshly pleasure. But guys, our spirit is what's going to endure forever. And where we are with the Lord is what matters. And it says there in verse 26, Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. That word reproach is kind of confusing. The word could also be translated the cause. Esteeming being you know, under attack for the cause of Christ. Esteeming the cause of Christ as greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. You know what Moses had? He had an eternal perspective. For you and I to be effective in this world, we need to have an eternal perspective. We need to get our eyes off the world. Colossians 3, 2 says, set your mind on things above, not on things of this earth. When I was a youth pastor, I used to tell the youth group kids, the only thing, my, one of my passions is to get you guys to quit doing this and get you to do this. If I can quit, get you from moving your head from side to side and get you looking up. And guys, that should be our heart, looking up. He's looking up and he says, you know what, because I'm looking up, I esteem the reproach or the cause of Christ as greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. He looked for the reward. You know what's amazing, guys, is that God is going to give us a reward. Moses walked away from all that he had because he knew it was perishing, because he esteemed a right relationship with God far more valuable than all the world had to offer, and he looked for the reward. The reward he's talking about is in heaven. Guys, there's a heavenly reward that is coming. And it's coming for those who will put their faith in Jesus Christ and follow Him. You know what? It's amazing. He pays the price. He does all the work. We simply obey and then He rewards us. What a great and awesome God we serve. Amen? And it says in verse 27, By faith He forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for He endured as seeing Him who is invisible. He forsook Egypt. By faith, Moses could walk away from the world and all it had to offer and live a life without fear. The Bible says God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Fear is the opposite of faith. You understand that? When I'm afraid, I'm saying God is not in charge. God is not in control. God does not have his hand on me. God is not watching over me. How could he? live a life without fear? How could he walk away from the riches of the world and go right into a place where he knew persecution was going to follow? How in the world could he do that? The last part of the verse is our answer. For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. What does faith do? It allows us to see, see things that are, are invisible as seen. We can trust and we can know and we can believe. Faith is not seeing and believing, it's believing and then seeing. Amen? And that was the heart of Moses. One of the main themes of the book of Hebrews is an encouragement to keep going, to endure. How did Moses do it? In the face of persecution, when he would be putting himself into, at least initially, relative poverty compared to the wealth of the Pharaoh. Seeing him who is invisible is how he did it. Faith is seeing the unseen. It's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Guys, we put our eyes on God. We can serve Him. We can follow Him. We can obey Him. We can trust Him, no matter what the circumstances are around us. The people in God's Hall of Faith, Hall of Fame, all had this in common. 
They had an eternal focus. They kept their eyes on the Lord, and they were not distracted by the circumstances or the consequences of life. That's Moses. Moses saw the realization that this was nothing more than golden handcuffs. This was just something that would keep him away from the true and living God. Sometimes God will, guys, what we call a blessing is a curse. It's, a, it's something that will hinder our walk. We can get so much stuff and be so focused on it that we don't have time to spend with the Lord. We don't make time to spend with the Lord. Guys, as I said before, we can miss out on the best pursuing that which is good. And then it says this. He not only forsook Egypt in verse 27, not fearing the wrath of the king. He had his eyes on the one who was invisible. His focus was on God. Look at verse 28. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith, he kept the Passover. Now, the Passover was two things. The Passover was, first of all, in obedient faith to what God had commanded but it also served as a public declaration to everyone around you that you are aligning yourself with Almighty God. Because everyone who walked by your door would see the blood. Now Passover, remember, it was the last of the plagues in Egypt. When Pharaoh's heart was hardened, he would not let the people go. And God brought the, this judgment upon them. And the judgment was this, that they did not take the blood of the Lamb, and apply it to the door in the shape of the cross. Remember, the blood of the Lamb. Who's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world? Jesus Christ. It's a picture of our Lord. They took the blood, and it wasn't enough to slay the Lamb. They had to apply it. Guys, it's not enough to believe that Jesus Christ is God. We must come broken and repenting before Him, and ask Him to come into our lives, and to rule and reign, and to be our Savior. Amen? and the Lord of our life. Not enough just to believe. It wasn't enough just to slay the lamb. They had to take the blood and apply the blood to the doorpost in the shape of the cross. And those who had the blood in the shape of the cross, the angel of death passed over, and they were delivered from righteous judgment. Guys, that's a picture of what's going to happen for all of us if we've given our life to Jesus Christ. Amen? We're going to escape the judgment that we all deserve. And yet, at the same time, this is a public proclamation because by putting that blood there, you're letting everyone know that you're, you're aligning yourself with the Lord. In the face of this persecution, he was being faithful. Again, he escaped righteous judgment by putting his faith in God. He believed in the power of the blood of the Lamb to deliver him from judgment. Now remember, these first century Jews were contemplating leaving the blood of the Lamb to go back to the blood of bulls and goats. And he says to them, there's a picture very clearly here, you stay by the cross of Calvary. Moses, all the way back, was pointing to the cross. It was pointing to the cross at Passover. This was God's plan all along. They were in bondage in Egypt. Egypt, a type or a picture of the world, and it was through the blood of the Lamb they were delivered out of bondage, just like you and I were delivered out of the bondage of sin through the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. Amen? And the temptation was to go back, and here's a very clear picture. From one they honored and respected, Moses. They're not to go back, but they should go forward with the Lord. Trust in the blood of the Lamb to deliver them from sin. To identify publicly with Him instead of being ashamed of Him. And Lord, I pray that would be our heart as well. Then it says in verse 29, By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians uh, attempting to do so were drowned. Now, I love this story. I mean, I, anybody grew up with that song, Pharaoh, Pharaoh? Am I the only one who knows that song? 
all that Pharaoh's people did, the dead man float. You haven't heard that? All right. I have to have the youth group do that sometime. But the Red Sea, what I love about this, what a picture of getting to see the, the mighty hand of God and for your faith to increase because the Red Sea for me is always in a picture of when I have nowhere else to go, I have nowhere else to turn, and everything seems impossible. That's the Red Sea. You're backed up, you got a mountain on that side, a mountain on that side, a sea behind you, and here comes the greatest army in the world charging you full speed on their chariots with their armor ready to come attack you. And you have nothing that can combat them. Remember the people even cried out, why did you bring us out here to be slaughtered? Thanks, Moses. We appreciate it. And you know what? It's when we're in a position where it's impossible for us to get out, that's when we get to see God move. And it was impossible for them to get out, and you know what? The Red Sea parted. Now, people have tried to question this archaeologically. It wasn't the Red Sea, it was the Reed Sea, and, and it was only about you know, six inches deep. Well, then it's still a miracle because all these guys in chariots drowned in six inches of water. <laughs> Amen? Here, the, it just cracks me up when people, you know, come up with their theories. You go, did you read the next verse? Because if you did, you would know how foolish what you just said. Here's the point. God, oh, well, how does God do that? He's God. He put the stars into the sky. He can open up a sea. It's no problem. Amen? And you know what? He opened it up and they went through and the enemy came behind him and he swallowed them up. That's the God we serve. God says, hand is upon us. When it looks impossible, we get to see God work. You know, sometimes, right now, I feel like we're kind of backed up against the Red Sea with the, with the planning commission of Santa Cruz when it comes to a building for our church. You know what that means? We get to see God work. And he's going to get glorified when it all happens. Amen? And so praise God, keep praying, keep trusting in the Lord, and in His timing, He will make a way. You know what? He's encouraging them. It seems overwhelming to you guys. You're being persecuted. You feel like there's no way out. Be reminded of the Red Sea. Be reminded how God comes in the midst of the impossible and does exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. It is when there is no other way that we get to see God make a way. Amen? Now from Moses, he moves on to Joshua. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down. Now, you could just read that. Now imagine if you were a military commander and you were going to fight one of the most incredible fortified cities on the planet at the time. Walls 30 feet high, 15 feet wide. Joshua goes and spends some time with the Lord and the Lord comes back and says, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you guys to march around it for six days with the ark in your hand. And then on the seventh day, I want you to march around it seven times, and then I want you to have the, the priests blow trumpets, and I want all the people to shout. That's what I want you to do. Now, if you went with the, to the military commander with that plan, can you imagine if we, you know, we're struggling in Iraq. Okay, Lord, here's what, you know, President Bush, here's what the Lord wants us to do. He wants us all to join hands around Iraq and sing praise songs. He would say, you're going to all get slaughtered. Are you out of your mind? Here's the point. Guys, our God's way is always going to be a way, more often, where only he can be glorified. If they had gone down with this great military plan, everybody would have been praising Joshua. But they marched around. They sang the, they say, you know, they blew the trumpets. They did all that God commanded them to do. And what happened to the walls? They fell down. Why? Because our God's greater than any walls. Amen. And he can break down any wall, any struggle, and any barrier in your life. That's the God that we serve. Notice, though, I want you to notice something. He heard from God, and then he responded. He did not tell God how to do it. 
He didn't make up a way that he thought would work for God. He heard from God, and then he responded. We, didn't, we should not be presumptuous with God. Amen? And we shouldn't strive, and we shouldn't try to make things happen. We don't command God either. You hear people doing that. They command God. They're telling God. We don't tell God anything. We just get on our face before him and say, thank you, Lord. Amen? And when he gives us direction, we say, yes, Lord. And here we see the faith of Joshua and the faith of the children of Israel, of the walls of Jericho fell down after they encircled them for seven days. Again, faith is not guessing God's will, but it's stepping out when God gives us direction. And Joshua and the children of Israel, by faith, honored the Lord and the walls came down. This is faith warring. They're at war. They're at battle. They're making a stand for Almighty God, and God is bringing the victory. Verse 31. By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. You know what? Rahab is such an incredible picture in Scripture. She was a harlot. What does that mean? She's a prostitute. And it's testified in Joshua 2.11, For the Lord your God, He is the God of heaven above and an earth beneath. You know what? Our God is reaching out to the prostitutes. Amen? He's reaching out to the most downtrodden. Guys, that's all of us. We're all sinners in desperate need of a Savior. None of us was, you know, more clean. We were all filthy, defiled, and in desperate need of being cleansed by Almighty God. Amen? And we need to look at everybody and see that they too are, we're just one beggar leading another beggar to the bread. We're all sinners in need of a Savior. And the Lord loved Rahab. And God revealed to her the truth of who he was. And when they came into the city, she told them, you know what? She confessed that their God was indeed God. What's incredible is that the true testimony of her faith is that it produced action. She protected the spies. She won her family to the true faith. She later became a part of the nation of Israel. She, she married and gave birth to a man by the name of Boaz. And through her genealogy would come David and then Jesus Christ. Through the genealogy of a harlot. But you know what? God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. He uses people like us. And it shows a picture again of the grace of God. Amen? And in the midst of it, God reached down and he rescued even a prostitute. Guys, that's, we should all be blown away because our salvation is no less radical than hers. Amen? Every one of us, God reached down from heaven and snatched us away from eternal separation from him. She said she did not perish, she did not, with those who did not believe, when she received the spies with peace. And then it says, and you could teach this chapter for six months, but... I'm not going to do it, I promise. And it says in verse 12, And what shall I say, for the time would fail me to tell you of Gideon. Again, briefly, Gideon. Love Gideon. Gideon had a victory over the Midianites, but if you'll remember the story of Gideon, you know, Gideon first was not a real faithful guy. Some people may question and challenge us, and that's okay. We can agree to disagree on this. You'd be wrong, but you, we can agree to disagree. But I believe it was a lack of faith that had him you know, putting out fleeces before God. It's a lack of faith. But notice this. God wanted to make sure that he got the glory. So here's what he did. They're getting ready to fight a battle. It's 135,000 against 32,000. And God said, you know, you're only outnumbered like four to one. That's, that's not good enough. You might think you're a really valiant guy. So here's what I'm going to do. I want you to tell anybody who wants to go home to go home. So 22,000 guys said, they got 135,000. We got 32,000. I'm out of here. So 22,000 guys left. 
It went from 4 to 1 to 13 to 1. God still said, ah, you might just really think you're great warriors. So when you go down when the guy get, and get water, the guys who drink water one way, let them go home. And the guys who you know, reach down and put the water to their mouth, you keep those guys. Well, 300 of them did that. So 9,700 more he sent home. Now it's 300 against 135,000. Now God says, okay, now, now you'll know it's me. <laughs> Guys, sometimes we need to get to a place where it's, we're outnumbered 400 to 1 before we really realize that God did it, amen? And sometimes we think, oh man, it's getting so difficult, and God's just saying, I'm preparing you so you'll know it's me. She'll give me the credit. You'll give me the glory. And you know what? By faith, Gideon went out with those 300 guys, and guess what happened? They won the battle. By faith in God. Not faith in themselves, not faith in their ability, but faith in God. He said, time would fail me to tell you of Gideon. It's not that he's running out of examples. He's running out of time. I can tell you about people who've been faithful to God. I could go on forever is what he's telling them. But not only was it Gideon, but Barak. Barak was an Old Testament judge. Deborah prophesied if he would step out, God would bring victory through him. He was kind of halfway faithful. He basically told Deborah, if you'll go, I'll go with you. And, and you know what? They went, and God brought the victory. We must learn to step out in obedient faith, to enter into the battle when it seems like we're outnumbered. Guys, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. God is for us who can be against us. The Bible says one will chase, chase 10,000. That's the God that we serve. But not only Barak, but here's a name that has always baffled me that he's in here. Samson. Samson is in the hall of faith. Now, if you were here, we were going through Samson. Samson, saved soul, wasted life. Samson. Samson who had the Nazarite vow, and there's three things you're not supposed to do with the Nazarite vow. You're not supposed to cut your hair. You're not supposed to have any wine or wine products, no grapes, nothing, and to touch no dead thing. And so we come upon Samson in the first chapter talking about him. What's he doing? He's walking through a vineyard. You're not supposed to touch grapes, man. Walking through a vineyard, and an animal, a lion comes out, and he attacks the lion and kills it, right? As he's on his way to go down and find a Philistine woman to marry. Samson. Then he goes and he comes back like most guys do, and he sees the dead lion on the ground. And he sees, you know, he wants to go back and check out his kill. That's what guys do, right? Shop that thing, we'll go check it out. And so he goes back to check it out. And he sees the lion there, and now it's filled with honey. And so he's already walking through a vineyard, which is wrong, you know, mistake number one. And now, now what does he do? He reaches in and touches the dead body, get honey out of it. Now I'm thinking honey in a, I like honey. But honey in a dead lion carcass, I'm thinking no. <laughs> but he reaches into a dead lion carcass and he gets some out and he eats it. But you know what a picture that is? It's a picture that sin is pleasurable for a season, but in the end it leads to death. You know, what looked sweet to him was really defiling him. And he reached out and he touched it. But you know what's amazing? Samson then, you know... Uh, Delilah, first, before Delilah, there's another woman that lies to him, and he tells her. And now Delilah lies to him, oh, you know, tell me the secret. And he keeps telling her the wrong thing, but she keeps doing what the wrong thing. Oh, bind me with string. Okay, and they bind it, and he breaks out of it. And she keeps doing it, and finally he tells her the truth. Each time he got a little closer, he ends up getting his eyes poked out, and he's basically serving like a mule. But you know what's incredible about the grace of our God? In the very end, Samson said, God, give me the strength one more time that I might destroy your enemy. And you know what? God did. 
And he lost his life and he brought it all down. But you know what is amazing? That God still refers to him as a man of faith. Aren't you glad that God remembers the one moment we had faith instead of the 10,000 when we didn't? <laughs> Amen? What a great and awesome God we serve. I am so unworthy, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Guys like Samson give me hope. Amen? God is so faithful. What a great and awesome God. Then he says, Jephthah. Jephthah is an Old Testament judge. He had an illegitimate child. It was a great stigma in that day. He was shunned by his own people. He was, he was an illegitimate child, excuse me. He was shunned by his own people. Eventually, he went out into, into isolation. The Ammonites go to attack God's people, and they cried out for Jephthah, the judge, to come and help them. And God used this man, who'd been shunned by his own people, to come back and bring a great victory. What a picture of those who are rejected by the people who God will then turn around and use them in a mighty way. In a time of desperation, they cry out to him. They want him to lead them. You know what, guys, as a Christian, there might be those at your workplace who mock you and, and talk about your faith and de- demean your service of God. But you know what? One of their family members comes down with cancer, and they'll be over at your cubicle asking for prayer. Amen. It's so often that they will mock you in the times when they, you know, and laugh, but when there's a need, they come running for, looking for the one who they know serves God. You're the only person I know that talks about God. Could you pray? And that's what happened here with Jephthah. He was a man of faith, even though isolated, even though shunned, God still used him. Also of David. David is considered a man after God's own heart in scripture. But amazingly enough, we know that David was far from perfect. Well, David started well. He fought Goliath. We know that story. We know that David was anointed king while he was out shepherding. He made the Philistines flee, but in the end, he ran to the Philistines for help. He lied to the priests. He committed adultery with Bathsheba, and he eventually murdered Uriah to cover his sin with Bathsheba. The man after God's own heart. How is that? You know how it is? He repented. What's the difference between Saul and David? David repented. Saul didn't. Guys, if you're outside of God's will, you can take a million steps away from God, it's one step back. Amen? You can get right with God before you walk out of here this morning. But but you don't know what I've done. God knows everything you've done. He still loves you. He that knows you best loves you most. Let's get right with him. Amen? And David was used mightily by God. He was a man after God's own heart. And again, we're never too far away to repent. And then he says Samuel. Now Samuel is a name that makes a lot of sense to me. He was the last of the judges, the first of the prophets, one of the most godly and remarkable men, faithful in the midst of a faithless generation when they were crying out for a king. And then he says, and the prophets, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Daniel, Hosea, to a man. These were those who would rather have died with conviction than live with compromise. He's exhorting them as they're thinking of walking away from the Lord because of persecution. And he's naming off all those who in the midst of persecution stood for God. Guys, this ought to be a great exhortation for every one of us. Amen? I've never been cast into a lion's den. It hasn't happened, at least not this week, right? Nobody's tried to kill me. The worst thing is, you know, people maybe mock you or, you know, my friend won't talk to me. Yeah, that's all right. (laughs) Guys, help us, Lord, help us to make a stand for Almighty God, amen? Amen. They were all faithful. They all had varying amounts of fruit, but they were faithful nonetheless. And we too need to be faithful and leave the fruit up to God. So faith warring, it is a spiritual battle that we fight. Now verse 33 through 35, faith winning. Look what it says. Who through faith 
subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of, the, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Now, look at this. They named their names, and then he goes back to talk about how through faith the great things they had done. They had subdued kingdoms. David, Joshua, King Asa, Jehoshaphat, King Ezekiel, and King Josiah all subdued kingdoms by stepping out in faith. They worked righteousness. Those who lived in a righteous and a godly way in the midst of idolatry and corruption. Men like Elijah and Elisha and King Josiah and Asa and Jehoshaphat. Some of them obtained promises. Caleb and Gideon and Barak and Abraham and Moses. God gave them promises. They stepped out in faith. God fulfilled the promise he gave to them. Some have, some have stopped the mouths of lions. Well, of course, we know that Daniel did. And we could even say that of David. When David was out watching the sheep. And God used him to kill a lion. Some of them have quenched the violence of fire. In Daniel chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Three young men who refused to bow when everybody else was. They were all bowing to the false god, the, the idol that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. These three young men who were in positions of authority in the government refused to bow. King Nebuchadnezzar calls them in and says, I don't, you know, who is the god that will deliver you out of my hands? Well, just hold on a second, you're about to find out. He says, who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? One more time, when the music plays, you bow. Amazing, it was music that got him to bow to the enemy. Same tool the enemy uses today. But he gets them to bow, and they refuse to bow, so they throw them in the fire, bound. You guys know the story. They're in the fire, and then King Nebuchadnezzar looks in and says, uh, did we put three of them in there bound? But now there's four, and they're walking around, and one of them is in the likeness of the Son of God. And then he says, from, who is a God that will deliver you out of my hands? It's a kind of a weak Nebuchadnezzar imitation, I know. He says, come out, come out, you servants of the Most High God. What a radical transformation in moments. Because three stood for God when no one else would. And I love the fact that they had to be called out of the fire. Think about that for a minute. They didn't run out, woo, you know, like that. They, they stayed in there. They were hanging out. You know why? It's better to be in the fire with Jesus than out of the fire without him. Amen? Amen. They're like, hey, where's the, the Lord's here. I'm going to stay right here. It's better to be in the trial with the Lord than out of the trial without him. You know what? Peace is not the absence of trials. Peace is right standing with Almighty God. And that's where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I, man, I told you we could preach this for six months. Now, some escaped the edge of the sword. David escaped both the swords of Goliath and Saul. Moses escaped the sword of Pharaoh. Elijah escaped the sword of Jezebel. Some of those who were out of weakness were made strong. Sarah, Gideon, Abraham, Esther, King Hezekiah, again, in their weakness were made, in, his, in their own personal weakness were made strong. Some of those became valiant in battle. David, King Asa, Jehoshaphat. Some of those women, it says in the next verse there, verse 35, received their dead raised to life again. By faith, they saw the dead raised. Can God still do that? Absolutely. I've not seen it my, with my own eyes, but I've talked to people whose own family members have been raised from the dead when I've been in India. 
You know why I believe more people are being raised from dead in India than here? Because they believe God can do it. They actually believe it. They pray for it. They go to funerals and pray people will get up. And you know what? Sometimes they do. Amen? When's the last time you went to a funeral and prayed for the person to get up? Oh, people think I'm out of my mind. I'm not going to do that. Right? You know what? Can we start praying? Let's not limit what God can do. Amen? Now, the person you pray for, if they knew the Lord, they might be really mad if you, you know. They might be like, are you, what, what are we? I never do this, but I had a joke emailed to me this week on the senior pastor server. And that's a guy who gets to heaven, and it's so incredible. He's blown away. And his wife, who had been his wife on earth, we're not given a marriage in heaven anymore, but his, the woman who had been his wife is there, and he calls her over after he's been in heaven just a short amount of time, and he said, you know what? I'm really mad at you. She said, why? She said, he said, you made me eat all those bran muffins. I could have been here 10 years sooner. <laughs> that's pretty good, huh? Now you know what kind of jokes go back and forth in the senior pastor service. And then it says this. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Not accepting deliverance. The deliverance would come if they rejected God. You know what? You don't have to suffer anymore. All you have to do is deny God and we'll let you go. Just deny God and we'll let you go. You know what, guys? May we live so passionately in love with God. Telling us to deny God will be like telling us to stop breathing. Amen? I can't, you can't separate me from the God that I love and serve and follow. There's no way I'm going to deny Him. And they would not accept deliverance. Eternal perspective would rather die with conviction than live with compromise. Verse 36. And then it says, Still others had trials of mockings and scourging and, yes, of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two. They were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. What does God say about those who suffer for his sake? The world's not worthy of them. We're going to end with that verse. We'll do the last two verses next week. But I want you to notice something. Faith contrary to what the name and acclaimant crowd would have you believe does not always end in physical blessing or healing or deliverance. Those who will not compromise their faith in God will suffer persecution, sometimes even unto death. And you know what, guys? It takes a lot more faith to endure trials than to escape them. Amen? Sometimes people say, well, you don't have enough faith. If you had more faith, you'd be delivered. You know what? It takes more faith to stay faithful when the trial continues than to escape it. Amen? And so if you're in the midst of a trial, know that God is still faithful. Let me go through this just real quickly and we'll close. Tortured, in the ancient Greek language, means to be beat with a stick or a baton. Trials of mockings. Isaac endured the cruel mocking of Ishmael. Samson was mocked at the feast of the Philistines. It says chains and imprisonment. Joseph was cast into prison for his faith. The evil king Ahab imprisoned the prophet Micah. They stoned Zechariah. Stoned to death between the altar of the temple. Naboth was stoned to death by Jezebel's henchmen. Sawn in two. According to tradition, Isaiah was sawn in two and killed. They were tempted. Again, being tempted. Some believe that this means to be branded. Not just tempted, but they were branded or burnt alive or mutilated. Again, for simply standing for God. They were slain with the sword. Some 85 priests were murdered by Doeg of the prophets. Again, There were more prophets murdered in Elijah's day as well. 
They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, people like Elijah who wore the humble clothing and did not mind the humility or the discomfort. And then it says, of whom the world was not worthy. The world is not necessarily friendly to people of faith. The world is not necessarily worthy of them either. Amen? And you know what, guys? These, do you think anybody's in heaven bummed out that they had to wear sheepskins? Do you think anybody's bummed out in heaven that they went through even a torturous moment or time? You know what? They, they laid down their lives for Almighty God. Can there be a greater testimony than that? Can there be a greater thing we can do with our lives and to lay them down for Him? And then it says, They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. David, Elijah, the prophets under leadership of Obadiah were all forced to flee and hide in caves. They suffered cold. They suffered hunger. They suffered rejection. Some of you are saying, Well, I didn't. I, is this the Christianity I signed up for? I didn't. Yeah, you know what, guys? Count it all joy, my brethren, when you fall into various trials. A faith that cannot be tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. If we truly have faith, our faith in God is not going to waver based on our circumstances or the consequences that surround us. Our faith is going to grow in the midst of it because we're not going to run from Him, but we're going to run to Him in the midst of it. Amen? Where else are you going to go? Who else are you going to turn to? Who else has the words of eternal life? We'll, we'll finish off because I want to make sure we take some time on verses 39 and 40 next week because it's a, a real key portion. I want us to talk about how we are to respond. We'll look at that in, in chapter 12 next week. So in closing, God's hall of fame. Those God chooses to recognize and remind them of men and women of great faith. He's reminding them. He's telling these who are being contemplating going away. These are examples to follow. And he talked about Abel, faith worshiping. Enoch, faith walking. Noah, faith working. Abraham, faith waiting. And then we saw faith warring, standing for God when the enemy attacks. Faith winning, the results of stepping out in faith. God does exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or faith, think. And then true faith is willing to die. Greater love that no man than this, that he laid down his life for a friend. If we truly love God, we're willing to lay down our lives because we understand all we're giving up is a temporary tent to gain an eternal crown. Amen? Lord, help us to see the world through eternal eyes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your word. We thank you for the incredible grace you've shown us. Father, we ask that we would be men and women of faith. Lord, as you continue, in a sense, to add to this list, Lord, a list that would go on and on and on of those who have faithfully served you, those who've been martyred for their faith, those who make a stand for you. Lord, I pray for the, the high school students, the junior high students who are in the room this morning. Father, may they make a stand for you on their campus. In the midst of persecution, Lord, I pray they would not waver and wilt, but Father God, instead they would stand for you and do it in love, and you would use them in a mighty and a powerful way. Father, I pray for each of us in our workplaces. Lord, help us to be salt and light. Help us, Lord, to stand up for you and to be, again, not obnoxious about our faith, but, Lord, loving and gracious where people can see you in us. Father, I pray, Lord, for our neighborhoods and, and Lord, the divine appointments that come into our path every single day. Help us, Lord, to look at the world through your eyes. Lord, help us to be broken about the things you're broken about, to love people the way you love them, Lord, to reach out to them. Lord, if you want to give someone a hug, use our arms. Lord, if you want to minister to truth somebody, use our lips. Father, help us to be tools in your hands, living lives faithful, sold out, and set apart unto you. 
Lord, we love you and we praise you. We can't wait to see you. We can't believe, Lord, that you not only died for us, but you're coming back for us, and then you're going to give us gifts for simply obeying what you've called us to do. You're such a great and an awesome God. Thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. let's stand and close the worship song.